The summer after I graduated college, I spent six weeks teaching Sudanese refugees in Cairo, Egypt. And the school was housed in these little apartments that they had rented on the bottom floor of a poor neighborhood. And I remember the first day I arrived, the teachers told me what classes I would be teaching. Math, English, music, and art. And I remember telling them, math and English I can do, but I cannot teach music and art. There's no way. I can't carry a tune. I can't draw a picture. There's no way I can teach music and art. But they insisted, and so I obeyed. So I get to the classroom, and there are 30 kids crammed in this 20 by 20 foot classroom, ranging in age from 5 years old to 15 years old. And it's Egypt in the summer. It's hot, we're all sweaty, and no one wants to be there. So for the first moment, they give me a little bit of license because they're curious about who is this new professor from the United States. But the moment I open my mouth to sing a song, chaos erupts. Kids are shouting and squirming in their seats until Miss Anne, who was kind of the self-appointed disciplinarian of the school, hears and she comes in with her big plastic yellow stick. And she starts banging the stick on the table and she starts whacking kids on the head. I said, Miss Anne, please, no, it's my fault. You don't understand. I can't teach them music. It's not their fault that they're distracted. So after about an hour, I suffered through the class and it was time for art class. And art honestly wasn't going much better until Mr. Musa walked in the room. He entered silently and went to the front of the room and he began to draw a beautiful picture of a butterfly on the chalkboard. And without a word, all the kids fell silent and they began to copy the butterfly on their pages. Well, Miss Anne had power. Mr. Musa had authority. And I had neither. In today's gospel, we hear that Jesus taught with authority. The gospel doesn't tell us what he taught, actually not a single word, but it tells us how the people responded to him, how they reacted. And there were two opposite reactions. The people, it says this, the people were astonished at his teaching because he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. The demons have the opposite reaction. They cry out, have you come here to destroy us? So both recognize his authority. The people marvel at it, and the demons dread it. It might seem strange, but I want to see what the reaction of the demons can tell us about who Christ is. First of all, they recognize that they're face to face with a power infinitely greater than their own. They call him the Holy One of God, and they recognize that he could destroy them. So they recognize this power, but they hate it. They ask, what are you doing here? What do you have to do with us? And that at least might seem like a fair question. What does he, the Holy One of God, have to do with these impure spirits? Doesn't he belong in heaven with the saints and the angels? So the demons had the illusion that they could carve out some space for themselves in the soul of this poor, miserable man, 
some space where they would be outside the domain of God. They thought, this at least is ours. As damp and as miserable as it is, this place is ours. So they're indignant when he arrives and they ask, what do you have to do with us? And the answer is everything. Everything, because Jesus is God. There is no safe place apart from him. The universe isn't divided into dark and light, yin and yang. There is one God and Lord of all, and it's Jesus Christ. Jesus is their God too, although they hate him. What has he to do with them? Everything. He created them out of love. For just a moment, for just an instant at their creation, they were angels of light. He knows their destiny, that they were created for glory, a glory that they will never know because they sought their own glory apart from him. But there is no place apart from him, not even hell. Psalm 139 says, where can I go from your spirit? From your presence, where can I flee? If I ascend to the heavens, you are there. If I lie down in Sheol, you are there. Sheol was the Hebrew word for the underworld, the place of the dead. If I lie down in Sheol, you are there. If I say, surely darkness shall hide me. Darkness is not dark for you, and night shines as the day. We think of hell as the absence of God. But even there, he's not completely absent because it's by his power that the souls and demons in hell are sustained in being. If he withdrew his power, they would cease to exist. And in hell, his justice reigns also, doesn't it? So why have we followed this strange line of reflection on the reaction of the demons? For two reasons. First, because even in the demons, the divinity and omnipotence of Jesus is manifested. He is Lord of all, without exception. And second, because we might find an echo of the demons' words in our own souls. What do you have to do with me? What do you have to do with this part of my life? What do you have to do with my study? What do you have to do with my plans? What do you have to do with how I spend my money? Talk to me about prayer. Talk to me about church. But Jesus, what do you have to do with this relationship? Or the other words of the demons, have you come here to destroy me? To rob me of this little pleasure? To take this relationship away from me? We might find the demons' words are not so unfamiliar. We don't quite want him to be Lord of all of our life because we fear that his authority is an authority that will destroy our freedom. But Christ hasn't come here to destroy you. He's come here to set you free. And that's what he does to the man afflicted by the impure spirits. He sets him free. As we said, Mark doesn't tell us what Jesus says, excuse me, in his first homily. But the Gospel of Luke does recount his first, although it's on a different occasion. Christ stands up in the synagogue and he proclaims, 
The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring glad tidings to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free and to proclaim a year acceptable to the Lord. He said, I've come to set the oppressed free. I've come to proclaim liberty for captives. He preached freedom and he preached it with authority. That is, he not only spoke about freedom, but he accomplished it. He set people free when he spoke to them, as he did to the man afflicted by that demon, and as he wants to do to us, if we'll allow him to speak authoritatively into our lives. I think that one of the reasons that we hesitate is because we misunderstand authority. We, re we regard it as the power to impose his will upon us, which necessarily limits our freedom. But the word authority is closely related to the word author. God has authority in our lives because he's our author. He's the one who created us. So he knows us and he knows what's good for us. That's why he can speak authoritatively into our lives. You know, he. He loves you much more than any human author loves his masterpiece. More than Tolstoy loves War and Peace, more than Michelangelo loves the Pietà. So let's let the Lord speak authoritatively into our lives. Because he doesn't want to rob us or crush us. He wants to set us free. I once met a man who had been a drug dealer until he encountered Christ. And he realized this is destroying my life. He had a wife and two beautiful kids. And so he decided to get rid of all of it. He had 15 pounds of marijuana. And he went and he threw it all away, except one pound. He thought, who knows what's going to happen? I might need this if I come on hard times. But the Lord kept working on him, kept speaking to him. And so finally he took that last pound and he threw it away. Except for one joint that he kept back. He said, who knows, I might have a tough day and I might need this. But the Lord kept speaking to him. And finally he went and he flushed it down the toilet. And he said flushing that last joint down the toilet was harder than throwing the rest of the 15 pounds away. But in that moment, he experienced an incredible release because in that moment, he proclaimed Jesus Christ as Lord of his life. Up to that point, Christ had been a counselor for him, but he still acted on his own terms. He was still holding something back. But when he flushed that last joint down the toilet, he said, you are my Lord. And the Lord set him free. So today I want to ask you, is there a part of your life that you're keeping back from the Lord? That you've said, not here. I'll take care of this myself. It's not necessarily a part of sin, but something that you've decided to keep back from Him. That you haven't submitted to His Lordship. Will this week make an act of trust? Let the Lord speak authoritatively in your life.
Pray to him, Lord, I trust that you're not here to crush my freedom. You are my author. And I want you to be my Lord. 